Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, August 19th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to discuss visiting the set of Wonder Woman 1984. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. Joining me on this podcast is Slash Film writer, Kwai Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. So you visited the set of Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, when, Where and when did this happen? So this took place back in 2018, back two years ago um, in London, United Kingdom. It was actually shot at the Leavesden studio. And um, I, uh, I I kind of got around to it because uh, the, the they were originally sh- shooting on location in Washington, D.C. And 2018 <laughs> was back when I was uh, living in D.C. or 2017, rather. And we kind of bugged Warner Brothers enough to say, why – how about we, since we already saw some of the footage that they shot in, in uh, D.C., uh, what about the set visit? So I managed to uh, see part of what they're shooting in D.C. and then get. Yeah, to- we were like, we have a writer there. Yeah. You don't have to fly us out. You don't have to put us up. She could just drive down or whatever. Exactly. Like, let me in. <laughs> yeah. But no, instead, instead of letting that happen and they fly you, you know, halfway around the world or whatever. <laughs> yep, they find me all the way to London where they were shooting on a studio lot, which, you know, wasn't as exciting as DC, but still was very, very exciting. Um, and uh, I, um, yeah, but it was so long ago, but I still remember it vividly because it was one of probably my set, my favorite set visits I've done um, just because of the how wonderful I got to speak to Patty Jenkins, uh, Gal Gadot, and Chris Pine. And um, it was, uh, we, we got to see quite a bit of the movie, more than I anticipated us seeing. Okay, uh, let's put this in perspective really quick. I looked this up. So when you visited the set in August of 2018, uh, the movies that came out in the theaters right around then were Crazy Rich Asians and The Meg. So that's how long ago this was. A long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) It seems like a lifetime ago. Uh, Okay, so you traveled to London. you know, before we get into anything that's, uh, we're going to discuss details and stuff like that. So we'll give you a point where, where you listener who wants to avoid everything can tune out. 
But uh, I guess in the super vague way, your spoiler free takeaway from what you saw and experienced that day and set. My spoiler free takeaway was excitement because I I felt like from what I saw and what I knew of Wonder Woman 1984, I could kind of tell that this was a movie that would have a more uh, political bent and maybe have something to do with current day issues, despite it being set in the 80s. Um, It's setting in Washington, D.C., as well as sort of the Cold War um, atmosphere that was going on. Um, Felt like it was going to be aiming at some sort of commentary that we rarely see in a superhero movie. And what I saw on the set uh, sort of validated that thought. And while we were there, we got to see one big action sequence that was shot and that we um, that you see a little glimpse of in the trailer. And we also got a look at the the stadium that is uh, used in the Themyscirin Amazonian Olympics that takes place in flashback in Wonder Woman 1984. So it was a lot of things that like they didn't quite tell us the overall plot and details of it but from what we saw I could kind of piece together what was happening and even more now that like the film was scheduled for 2020 which is an election year it felt very much like this film was going to be making a commentary on our current administration despite it being uh shot in 2018 it feels even more relevant now just because of how the world has kind of <laughs> moved, moved from then so it's, it's it's really interesting how um this film despite being set in the 80s is incredibly timely and i felt like um um shall i go into detail about how uh, yeah okay let's give a spoiler free or let's uh give the spoiler warning i i guess uh now i should say before you you start hd Mm -hmm. everything that they show a journalist visiting the set is very calculated Mm -hmm. like they they don't like they're not going to show hd you know how the movie ends typically Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like like reveal anything that like they wouldn't want you to know. They they are expecting that this journalist is going to write about this uh, months before the film comes out uh, in this case. And um, and uh, so I guess what I'm saying is like, you know, you can listen to this if you watch the trailers and stuff. I guess, you know, you got to go based on wh- how you feel. I don't think she's going to spoil anything major. She's going to tell you what she's she's on set, what she learned. That said, there is details and <laughs> stuff here that some people wouldn't want to learn. So uh, you've been warned. You can you you can walk away now if you choose to. Um, okay, uh, let, let's get into it. I guess um, let's uh, let's let's talk uh, Patty and Gal because you talked to both of them. Mm-hmm. How how were they? So Patty, we actually caught in between them shooting the sequence that takes place in the White House corridor. We see a glimpse of that in the trailer, um, which is a fight between Diana, Steve, and a couple of guards. And um, or uh, what are the names of the of the White House security? I can't remember. Oh, uh, Secret Service. Secret Service. Uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> I live in DC, obviously. Um, um, but yes, we, we caught her in between shooting that and she was obviously still kind of juggling everything that was happening. And yet she sat down with like a coffee cup balanced on her knee, looking very positively unruffled as like the latest, the latest assistant was just whispering about the latest emergency in her ear and just kind of calmly answering our questions. So she felt very much like 
<laughs> she had so many things under control and was had such a controlled chaos around her that it was it was kind of like this is gonna sound cheesy but it, it was kind of like seeing wonder woman in action i was like wow she's like a real life wonder woman and it was really <laughs> cool to see i feel like having been to a couple of sets there is a degree of chaos that takes place in these things and sometimes it's within like that director's um type of uh work uh style that they are that they kind of are more energetic more detached from the thing but i felt like patty um had a very just controlled uh tone to the entire thing and i was it was really it was really cool to see so she was just um yeah she had uh yeah she was great to watch uh, and also had some great answers to our questions um mostly having to do with why this movie wasn't a sequel but (laughs) um yes we'll get into that but yeah she um she actually gave us quite a bit of information um, about how she had been had this idea for Wonder Woman 1984 way back when she was shooting the first Wonder Woman. So she already had the ideas and the plots and the characters that she wanted to explore um, back when she was um, shooting Wonder Woman. And he had even considered um, planting like characters like Cheetah back in the first Wonder Woman when she was making it. So that was really interesting to see and how she was kind of... Um, just even though she doesn't like to go into full like chapter chapter story arcs she does have sort of a an idea of where she wants to, where she wants to explore with this character yeah and how how is gal because i remember when i visited the set of of justice league and i visited i guess probably now i, I would venture to say like probably like 70 sets at this point like i you know i visited a lot i've been lucky throughout uh you know my career to visit a lot of movie sets and i'm i'm usually not um starstruck at a (laughs) a, at a star and especially not um i mean gal gadot at the time was in nothing do you know what i mean right like she she was curious (laughs) yeah she which i didn't even remember she was in so Mm -hmm. like it's not like whatever but seeing her on set of justice league and seeing her in the Wonder Woman costume, and usually when you see the people in their costumes on like these superhero movies, it really looks like like cosplay. Like it, it looks like an uncomfortable situation. It doesn't look like they are the character. Mm-hmm. You know, they turn it on once you know the cameras roll and stuff. But when I saw her onset of Justice League, it really felt like I was seeing Wonder Woman. Like there was like a glow. Like I, yes. th- th- there must be like. <laughs> like lighting guys like perfectly lighting her as we spoke to her i don't know it, it was, she was just beautiful and like you could just see like you like i get it i get why she was cast as wonder woman gal gadot um, uh maybe I, she is the most beautiful person beautiful woman i've ever seen in real life yeah i know she's just like you know she plays a goddess um in wonder woman but she really does give this almost ethereal feeling to her like every person who is within her presence is being blessed by her presence i can't explain it she's just so beautiful and buoyant and cheerful and like there's a sparkle around her and it's just like it's it sounds like we're bragging about meeting a celebrity but we yeah we do meet a lot of celebrities and she just was a she was just something else and um it was really funny too because we we met her as we were talking to Chris Pine, who had a little time away from the shoot, and he's very serious, very um, erudite and intellectual type of person, and every answer he gave us was like some like something out of the SAT. Like he he's a very well spoken man, 
yeah. and he has like this graveness to him that um that all the answers he gave us felt like much more deep than anything that we usually get out of a superhero movie so like there was a seriousness that had descended over the group as he was talking but um while he talked we could see gal like coming in and creeping up behind him and just like jumping <laughs> on his shoulder and surprising him and as soon as she came he his eyes like lit up and suddenly i felt like i was in the presence of two most beautiful people in the world who were just I don't know, in a rom-com with each other and we were just witnessing it. It was really just like their dynamic in person uh, just really explains and really proves like how genuine that chemistry is in Wonder Woman and, and why they want to go back to it in Wonder Woman 1984. Like they are so like she immediately lights him up. She's like some sort of energizer bunny. And it's kind of it was so surreal to watch again. Like she's beautiful and he knows that she's beautiful and everyone's just kind of like, wow, they're just two beautiful people being together. This is a weird thing to, to like talk about. But it's just like <laughs> yeah. I, I, I wish I could express just like how um, amazing their seeing their chemistry in person was and how ethereal she is as a person there's i think there's like this vanity fair piece that um talks that's an interview with gal gadot and it's a one-on-one interview and this and it's this woman who just talks about like her day with gal gadot and it seems like something that's straight out of this richard linklater romantic comedy <laughs> like gal gadot is like swimming in the ocean and she comes out and she's like <laughs> beautiful and she's like why did you not eat this egg sandwich i gave you and you're like wow that's like the most wise thing i ever heard of someone say it's just it's very it's a it's, she's such yeah. a she's such a, a character like you know, we're all living our own lives and we feel like the the main character of our own movies. And I feel like there's n- there's no time. There's probably very few times that you could feel like you're just an extra in someone else's movie <laughs> than you are interviewing those two people together. Right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you're, sure. like, you're, you're just an extra in their movie. Mm-hmm. We were. But I did get to speak face to face to Chris Pine and joke about stalking him and he looked at me right in the face and laughed <laughs> because I said Wait, what, did you, what was your joke because i said that i i saw them in dc and i was like oh i saw you but you know i wasn't as close as i am now and i was like two feet away and which was kind of a joke about me like oh i wasn't stalking you or anything so and he laughed at it so you know i made chris pine laugh <laughs> see that that's an accomplishment that's one mm-hmm. for the bucket list Okay, uh, let's talk about um, – you, you mentioned before that Patty is claiming that Wonder Woman 1984 is not a sequel, which is, to me sounds like bullshit. But yes. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, it is kind of bullshit, and it's something that she's been saying for the past you know, one, two years. But uh, she basically wanted to emphasize that she was prioritizing the story first, and it wasn't about being the second chapter in a story. And she doesn't like to do chapter two, for example, in a seven-chapter story, she told us. And um, while Jeff Johns, who's a co-writer on this script, has a good idea of like keeping things in canon, um, and she has an idea of the overarching overreaching arc of Wonder Woman, she doesn't like to think of it as like the next part of um, Wonder Woman's story. So that's basically the thrust of what she meant, and that it was not a sequel. Okay, I guess that begs the question, because while this is not a sequel in her mind, this is part of a bigger DC film universe. Mm -hmm. So uh, how, you know, and that thing's getting a lot more complicated as, you know, Snyder's less involved in it and, you know, what they're going to keep and what they're not going to keep. Like, how is Wonder, how does Wonder Woman 1984 fit into the DC film universe? 
So as we know, this takes place in 1984, which is decades before the events of Man of Steel and Justice League, and by the and Batman vs Superman, which is the film in which uh, Diana is introduced. And in that film, she is not known by the rest of the world. At that point, Superman is the only hero who is uh, seen to be a superhero, and because of that, he uh, is facing the fallout of it from the consequences of his actions and people fearing and idolizing his superpowers, and yet. Wonder Woman has been acting apparently in broad daylight um, as a superhero for the past seven decades. Um, and we did ask uh, the pr- producer Chuck Rovin about this and why Diana is still seen as a mystery and still seen as something still not known about uh, during the events of Batman versus Superman. And uh, they were very coy about it. They're pretty tight-lipped. Uh, but Chuck Rovin said that she has ways of dealing with it. She definitely does deal with it. And you'll definitely see how she handles it in a number of circumstances. Nevertheless, there are still rumors about her, though nobody can prove it. So that is as far as they get in terms of detail. And uh, we don't know exactly how she quote unquote deals with it. But um, it must have something to do with, uh, I, I don't want to like make too many leaps, but I don't know any sto- any powers that Wonder Woman has about like memory control or mind wiping. But mm. I'm guessing that at this point she's more of an urban legend than a superhero in the sense that Superman is at the events of Batman versus Superman. Yeah. I mean, no one knows about her except for Lex Luthor, who has, you know, uh, icons uh, professionally designed with her logo on his computer. Yes. (laughs) Uh, I I guess she's just flying around the world in her invisible jet and no one's seeing her. So, Um, okay. (laughs) Okay, uh, what was the scene that you saw? It, well, you, you mentioned before you saw two different, or you saw two different sets, but what was the scene you actually got to see being filmed? So the scene I did mention it also before. It was um, in the White House corridor, um, in which Diana and Steve are fighting a group of Secret Service or security guards. It's not sure which, um, and Steve grabs a. a platter or tray of some sort and uses it to collect the bullets and protect him and Diana as they run across the hall. And that is the scene that we saw, basically. And that's uh, that was the biggest piece of action that we saw, but it was quite um, interesting. And it definitely felt like there is a significance to the fact that the White House is a major setting in this film. And um, we also did see the set of the stadium where the Amazonian Olympics take place, but it was only the end point of a big obstacle course uh which includes a big triathlon like through land water and mountains and such and so to and such okay so this film is mostly set in our world in the 1980s um what has diana been up to so diana has been dutifully protecting humanity as for the past 60 plus years um but keeping out of sight and she's described as being still detached and uh, from the rest of humanity and lonely ever since Steve Trevor's death. And that's something that she is kind of struggling with at the beginning of the film, um, despite making a new friend with Barbara Minerva. Um, but that, you know, soon changes when Steve Trevor miraculously somehow comes back. <laughs> and um, yeah, let's have... talk about that. Mm-hmm. What is up with that? Like, how is he back? Because he clearly died, right? He did die. And this is the part where I start to 
perhaps speculate. I don't want to go. Well, how about that? Let's get to the speculation at the end of this episode so that people can tune out there. Not that you know anything, but, you know, sometimes speculation can be can be true. And then then does it become a spoiler? I don't even know. Whatever. Uh, But uh, what what did they say? Because I'm guessing you had to ask Chris and and Patty about this. Right. Like, why is why is Steve here? They, They would not answer. They basically gave no how as to how he was back, but they did say that um, bringing him back was a chance for them to expand upon the dynamic of Steve and Diana, which was such a big and delightful appeal of the first Wonder Woman. And one of the fun things about expanding that dynamic is that they get to flip the um, the fish out of water story that they told with what with Diana in the first film and now they give it to Steve in this film and Chris Pine said he had a lot of fun playing at that and playing a more boyish side of Steve Trevor where he was a world where he's in the first film and here he gets to be a man out of time um, wearing many fanny packs apparently one of the fanny packs that he <laughs> did get to, got to wear this is something that I got very excited about but he he there are several choices that are eventually scrapped but one was an American flag fanny pack a an all denim fanny pack and um, I think there was also a, a hat with a fan or something <laughs> but those are all unfortunately scrapped and he has the current um regular fanny pack but yes he he gets to be sort of that fish out of water in this and that kind of puts the power in diana's hands uh and like they get to explore what that relationship is beyond that cute flirtation that they had in the first film it it does occur to me that you know being a guy named steve uh, who's in the military and now you're you know a fish out of water out of time Maybe there's a reason why they didn't give him that American fanny pack, right? Yeah, maybe that's why. <laughs> but um, yeah, they, they did speak about the what this movie would be in comparison to the last film, where the last one was more of a war film and an origin film. Uh, Patty Jenkins described this as a romantic comedy meets action, um, while Chris Pine described it as a grand romance. So it seems like the romantic mm. part will play a major part in this film, maybe even more so than the first film. What did we learn about why this film is set in the 1980s, aside from, you know, the 1980s becoming cool again with Stranger Things and Mm -hmm. all that? Like, why why is the story here in the 1980s? So there's actually a very significant reason that it's set in the 1980s. And uh, both the assistant producers as well as Patty Jenkins spoke about how the 80s to them were a symbol of both America at its heights and America at its lowest points. And about how it is an era of excess, of decadence, uh, of um, that kind of... Um, American dream being realized, but also how that American dream was an illusion in many ways. And that is embodied in the villain played by Pedro Pascal, who we now know is Maxwell Lord. Back then, they would not reveal that it was Maxwell Lord. They just said that he is the president of Black Gold International and that he is a desperate, self-obsessed, fraudulent entrepreneur who runs a business selling the American dream. And um, as they were speaking about this and as they were speaking about the significance of the 80s, it very much feels like um, a very pointed critique at the current uh, White House administration and the 
would it be would it be libelous to say the fraudulent <laughs> businessman who currently sits in the White House? <laughs> I think I think that's kind of fair. I think some of those those it, it, definitely ac- accused of that, right? Like yes, yes, he has gone to court for such things. So it definitely feels like they are they put po- they picked this era for a reason, and it's interesting too because in the eighties, uh, Ronald Reagan uh, was president. He was the president that um, was most uh, symbolic of the 80s. He um, was present in 1989. And there have been a lot of articles and pieces that have drawn comparisons between Reagan, who is an icon of political conservatism, um, with Trump. And that's something that I think is pretty intentional, even if it's something that they don't quite say uh, explicitly. They didn't quite say explicitly during the set visit, but I feel like that was a pretty easy uh, line <laughs> to draw. Yeah, but by the way, to give you and uh, give the people out there listening another indication of how long ago you were on set, uh, Pedro Pascal had not yet even gone to film The Mandalorian <laughs> at the right. time that uh, he was ma- making this movie. So that that's how long ago we, we, we we're we're probably what, when does Wonder Woman come out? It comes out like later o- this year, right? Yeah, it October. comes out October twenty twenty. So it comes. So out- we're gonna get two seasons of The Mandalorian before we get. <laughs> Wow. Before we get this movie, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Um, okay, so do you? Uh, you know, I, I know you have more to say about your speculation and how that character fits in. We'll talk about that at the very end of this podcast. I promise. Um, let's talk about the film films villains. Like, wh- mm-hmm. who, who are the film's villains? So the villains, as we know, are Cheetah and Maxwell Lord, and Patty Jenkins. Uh, specifically chose these two characters as um, both foils for Wonder Woman and foils for the era. Um, Cheetah, she felt, was a very good, very symbolic of Wonder Woman's own sort of emotional journey. And Cheetah, of course, is known as Wonder Wonder Woman's biggest rogues. She's often viewed as her main arch nemesis um, because of just how she is the embodiment of rage and envy uh, as opposed to Wonder Woman's own dignified compassion. And in this case, she, uh, Patty Jenkins thought that uh, Cheetah, who is a character who wants to be like other superheroes and gods, would be a really great emotional foil to Wonder Woman. Uh, while Maxwell Lord fits the bill for uh, thematically representing the movie's themes of 80s excess and the illusion of the American dream. Hmm. Okay, how 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 are all these going to connect? We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but you, you did mention earlier that Patty mentioned that she was originally thinking about introducing Cheetah in the first film. Yeah, she originally wanted to plant the seeds of Cheetah at the end of the first film because it would have made an int- like a pretty clean throughway of the first film dealing with gods and the gods interfering with the with that of humanity and um, a human who wants to be God. But she doesn't go into specifically how she would have planted Cheetah in it, but that was something that she had originally considered before saving Cheetah for Wonder Woman 1984. Okay. We've gotten up to the time. HT, uh, okay. First of all, spo- you know, head on out if you don't want to hear HT's uh, theory, her speculation on, you know, how this all, wh- what this all means, how this is going to come together in the film. HT doesn't know anything more than basically what she has previously said. This is all basically, you know, her being a journalist or, you know, 
one of those people that watches Lost every week and trying to like add add everything together and figure it out. Sometimes you do pieces. figure it out, and then sometimes it's just like you know a polar bear in a zoo, uh, whatever. Anyways, uh, uh, so uh, I guess HD, what do you think this is all about? Like, what what do you think this film is going to be? So the main conflict I think is set up with. Pedro Pascal's Maxwell Lord and his promise of selling the American dream. And I think that the product that he's selling literally brings those dreams to life. And that is what turns Barbara Minerva into Cheetah. She turns into a confident, uh, sexually um, courageous young woman. And that is her dream. But Diana's dream, because we are introduced to her as lonely, detached, uh, missing Steve Trevor, her dream is for Steve Trevor to return. So I think. Wait, wait, wait a second. This is very interesting. Mm-hmm. So is this like a in your theory? Is this like a pill, or is it like so? It, like it makes sense for Cheetah, like that I can totally get behind. But for Diana, like is she just imagining she's seeing Steve, or is he actually there? Like how does? I think yeah. he's actually. I think maybe she accidentally activates it in some way, um, but like she doesn't intentionally use this product or maybe something happens and that this product is used without her knowledge and she accidentally brings Steve Trevor back to life without knowing how he was brought back to life. But it was through this whatever miracle product that Maxwell Lord is selling. And so because of that, I think that the main emotional arc of this film is that Diana will realize the the power that brought Steve back is exactly what she's trying to stop and that she has to sacrifice Steve Trevor in order to stop Maxwell Lord and whatever his scheme is um, and his product that brings people's dreams to life. Hmm. So this think, sounds like a very good theory, HD. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking that it's going to have a lot of, there's going to be a lot of, self-sacrifice again at the end and it's going to be a pretty tragic um story an emotional story for steve and diana so i don't think it will undercut in any way his death in the first film i think it'll only make it even sadder so this is just this is my theory but based on what i saw on set and what they kept telling us about the american dream and maxwell lore's part in it i feel like this is exactly where the movie is heading it is a good theory and this sounds like a good way to execute on this. I, I'm always nervous whenever a film or like especially a franchise that is like a bigger universe thing, like, you know, that is not just like isolated to this one story when they come up with a concept that can bring people back from the dead, which I guess they already did with Superman. Right. So mm-hmm. I guess it's not <laughs> that big of a deal. But like having the technology out there basically means that there's no consequences but i guess if in the end they destroy this technology then it no longer exists and then there's no there's no problems right yeah and i'm sure there's some sort of con to this technology or this power like if she lets him live then the rest of the world dies or something i don't know there's some there's going to be some stakes to it so there's probably going to be a reason that she has to you know let steve trevor die again potentially Okay, well, this was a fun conversation. Uh, HT has a number of 
of stories from her Wonder Woman set visit. How many stories did you write? Like, I, I think there's like at least six, right? There's six Maybe stories. Seven. Yes. There's one big main set visit report, which I encourage you to read because it's the most thorough. But there's a bunch of other smaller stories uh, that are also good to read. And the one which just basically hones in on um, Gal Gadot and Chris Pine's sparkling <laughs> chemistry. Okay, we'll we'll link all of those in the show notes. Uh, You can find this podcast on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. And please head on over to our iTunes page, tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you on Friday.